Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. And we are joined by someone who we've claimed as a guest before, even though we are guests on their show and we just kind of recycled the audio. Yeah, that's very true. Ali Hill, we were on the Standout Life podcast by, by Ali Hill late last year with Dr. Dan Pronk talking resilience. Are you, do you, was it you with the Standout Life or me? Hmm. I don't know. I'm... Maybe it's Dan and we were just along for the ride. Actually, yeah, but that, that probably actually we would have got in on his ticket. Yeah. Well, Ali's the CEO of Pragmatic Thinking. She's a registered psychologist. She's an award-winning businesswoman, a keynote speaker, an author, and the host of the Standout Life podcast. But today we get to turn the microphones back on her mm. to talk about her Standout Life, her family. No, 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 no. We're talking about her life less ordinary. That's our byline. Yeah. Life less ordinary. Um, and talking about from home to the office and working from anywhere. Yeah, some really interesting um, sort of points and perspectives on uh, how the work life has changed post-pandemic and what that might mean for the future. Um, Ali comes from a background, as you mentioned, as a psychologist and does a lot of work in the leadership space. So talks about some of the opportunities, but also some of the challenges associated with uh, the new normal in the workplace. But also gets pretty personal about what's important for her, how she's planning on structuring her work life going forward, and you know the kind of things that, that matter to her globally in terms of life, um, work and otherwise. Yeah, finding the little what she calls moments of magic in these messy, busy lives that we tend to lead. And also her relationship with her business partner, who's also her life partner, uh, Darren Hill, and, and how she manages that. How does she keep personal life somewhat separated from mm. the professional? You know, where's the confluence of those two things? Where, where does I've, that I've learnt clearly you should never go into business with your brother or your mate. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll ask Ali whether you should go into business with, with your, your spouse. With your life partner. Yeah. yeah, no, looking forward to it. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host Ben Pronk. G'day, Tim. Uh, ben, we have Ali Hill back on the podcast. Well, not really back on our podcast. Well, we reused her audio because it was better <laughs> oh, when right. she we interviewed us. So do, we, <laughs> do we ask Ali if we could do that? We cheated a bit. I think we did ask permission, Ali. <laughs> yeah, totally. Welcome. It's fine. <laughs> this is going to end up in an IP case. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a cease and desist letter from Ali's battery of lawyers. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast again, I think, maybe. Nice uh, to speak again. Yeah, <laughs> we're all tangled up in that. Yeah. How are you going? If we if we say exactly the same things, then then that might be where the yeah, issue comes yeah. in. But yeah, thank you. It's uh yeah, I'm going really well, and and great to be um 
Oh, I don't know. I think it's great to be on the receiving end of the questions rather than one asking them. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation last time. So happy to see where this goes. Yeah, the microphones are turned. And last time we did talk about the Resilient Shield with Dr. Dan Pronk um, and you being a registered psychologist have a a great interest in all things resilience Mm. and certainly uh, what we would call the mind layer. So we hope to explore a little bit of that. But before we get there, so we recorded late last year and we've been struggling, haven't we, to find space in our diaries to get you on. What have you been doing between then and now? Uh, Confession time. I actually (laughs) (laughs) have taken extended leave. So um, being in business and work in business with my husband for over 15 years now. And when you are in a small business and um, kind of work that we do, even though you have holidays, there you always have things in the background. And mm. I've written books on holidays. We've been in Bali where my husband and I have tag teamed <laughs> who's going up to the co-working space. And so uh, we decided it was time for us to, to take some extended time. So November, December um, and most of January, uh, we really just created space um and it's interesting everyone said to us where are you going thinking we were traveling and Mm. we just kind of hung out at home and um you know ticked off all those administrative things got the uh redecking done and (laughs) bits and pieces painted but really we did go into it with a, a clear focus of um we wanted to focus on health and adventure the two things that sometimes work can cost you. Um, so really made sure that we did something every single day that was investing in our health, whether that was walk along the beach, run, eat really well, um, massage, those sorts of things, uh, and plenty of adventures. So we went camping with the kids, hiking, um, yeah, and just made those two things our priority. Has there been anything that you've discovered or, um, and, and it's probably not going to be revelatory, but, but anything that's really resonated over this period that you, you're really going to fight to keep in your life uh, from here, either health or adventure? Uh, absolutely. Um, aside from the fact that I also really like my husband and my kids, so I'm going to keep them, around, <laughs> which, is, which is a side bonus. But um, uh, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, health, uh, I've, Again, uh, yes. So coming into this year, I'm going to only work four days a week, keep Fridays, and um, and I've signed up for a trail run at the UTA. And so awesome. again, those um, those events and and having a date in mind, I think, is the kind of thing that gets me out on the trails, which I love. Um, uh, making it a priority to get up early most mornings. Uh, I live very close to the beach here on the Gold Coast, so just a magic part of the world. Um, and I just know my day gets better whenever I get a chance to do mm. that. So that has, um, will be moving, carrying forward. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely. In terms of adventure, we're keen to, again, where we're located, there's a couple of amazing islands close by. So we went to Morton Island, keen mm. to go and explore Fraser Island. Um, and then I've just booked a six day hike between Catherine Gorge and Edith Falls up in the, uh, Northern awesome. Territory. Wow. Uh, which is a walk-in, walk-out, got to take everything with you, trying to decide how much red wine uh, is needed in six days and how heavy that's going to be. <laughs> All <so>. of it. <laughs> yeah, ditch your sleeping gear and some food in, in favour right. of that. Yeah. In priorities, so yeah. <laughs> um, so you've been in business with Darren for 13 years. We would talk about the importance of psychological transition periods from your work life to your home life. Are you able to do that? Are you able to transition from 
being a mum and a wife from being a business partner? How do you achieve that? Uh, the way I would talk about that is seasons. So I'm not a um, kind of a strong process person and I would say that there are times where they blend um, mm -hmm. quite a lot. And in some ways that actually works really well because I also have um, a business partner and a life partner who understands the challenges, who is the person who steps in if um, I'm unwell or just like mm. needing that kind mm. of re-energise. So there has a lot of upsides. It does mean, as you say, that in that transition or the blend uh, that the, you know, the business conversations happen over the dinner table or um the you know it does kind of blend into other parts of life i had a great friend say to me many years ago when um i was kind of going how do you do it like what's what's the what's the tool mm. uh do you shake it off at the front door <laughs> um mm. and she said look whatever it is whatever you're doing be all there so if you are talking about work, then be all there. If you are parenting or picking up the kids or taking them to netball practice, be all there. And that, whilst I'm not perfect at that, and there are times where you are on a work call while at netball training, um, that's just a really lovely reminder to me to go, okay, there'll be time to do the work thing then. If, if this is where I am, if this is where my feet are planted right now, mm. then be all here and be really present to this. So that's served me really well. Which is probably a great segue into a topic we wanted to, to discuss with you, this idea of working from anywhere. Now, I, I don't think it'll be news to anyone listening to this to recognise that multitasking is a myth. You mm -hmm. can't do those two things at once. But sometimes, to your exact point just then, you need to take that work call while you're at netball, you need to do things and, and increasingly as people are working from home, they need to balance uh, the, the being present with their family but also commitments to work even if it's in the same geographic space, which can be tricky. What are your thoughts on that and can you expand on that concept of, of work from anywhere, the, the kind of principles behind that? Yeah, and hasn't this kind of risen to the topic of conversation in the last two years mm -hmm. where, we, you know, we, we went from flexibility at work to which happened on the fringes, it happened in those kind of moments. Occasionally you might uh, bring work home or work from home or, um, you know, go, go to a kid's celebration and then go home and finish your day. And, and, and those one-offs were always then heralded by the company. You know, that one example of someone who once did that kind of flexible work and, yep, we do this. That's right. That's right. But within a matter of a week, two weeks, exactly. entire organisations were operating uh, in a work from, work from home capacity. And so, and a lot of that in the early stages, if we, you know, cast our mind back to March of 2020, that was people literally on their dining room table next to their kids also doing schoolwork mm -hmm. next to their partners or spouses who were working for another organisation. <laughs> um, and so all of a sudden your co-workers <laughs> were, were different but still, you know, still having to navigate all of that. And there has been uh, moments again I was talking to a client at the end of last year and they were saying it feels like I'm sleeping at work rather than I'm working at home <laughs> it feels like that that blend is, has definitely happened when it comes to thinking about those transitions it takes deliberate thinking and, and really conscious thought about how do I work at my best and so if I am someone who prefers to get up and work early in the morning 
um, then what can I do to craft my workspace to to enable that, to support that? Um, and then when are the break times? When am I actually downing tools? Mm. Um, and and when am I kind of signing off work for the day? So, so working from home or working from anywhere gives us a huge amount of autonomy. But if we don't actually think about how can I do my best work, then mm. that's where that blend and the crossover starts to come into play we end up working from everywhere i guess it just bleeds <laughs> yeah. well yeah we're taking calls while we're putting washing out and sometimes sometimes that's really you know helpful uh but i guess if i go back to whatever i'm doing be all here but it's mm. also what um what we're celebrating from a cultural point of view so one of the things we did with our team again quite early on um and we're a team that was able to work from home very very quickly um, adapted to that environment very, very quickly. But we could see uh, very dedicated, highly engaged team members um, not take a break away from the computer. And so we had a, I guess, a cultural rhythm where we would talk about seize the midday. And that would hmm. be a celebration to get out and go and do exercise, do something and share a photo. We had a Slack channel for it and we would encourage people to share a photo of what they were doing to seize midday. So around midday, um, so we had everything from people roller skating to doing a gym session to just having lunch on the grass. Um, and I was the worst at it in our entire team. I would be the one working through, but whenever I saw that photo with that prompt and reminder, oh yeah, get outside, really celebrate getting away from work. Uh, and it was really powerful in our team. That's very cool. Mm. It's funny how you described it. it. It sounded like almost that uh, requirement to take a break then became another stressor. I'm not doing it. And again, we had some people do it, you know, mid-morning. Some go, actually, I feel like I can do a sprint in the morning and my C's that, that time mm. became 2.30. So they kind of hacked the system, which was perfect. And I guess the example of really thinking about how do I work my best, but how do I work at my best today or this mm. week? So last week I could have, I, you know, I was able to work flat chat eight till five back-to-back -back Zoom calls, high energy, and I loved it. But this week I'm, you know, may not have the energy. So I need to make sure I'm taking those breaks or stepping away uh, from, from work. I'm really interested in longitudinally how this little experiment, <laughs> the COVID working experiment, is going to pan out. I, I think we collectively surprised ourselves at how efficient we could be working from home and doing things uh, via Zoom, and, and we've got into that groove. I can't help but feeling how I can't help but think, however, that we're maybe expending some currency we've developed by having so many years of face-to-face -face relationships in office places, workplaces that that has allowed us to to transition straight to that. Do you think there's some something special about the the face to face about developing water cooler conversation in a physical sense in a workplace that maybe we risk losing as a lot of organizations are looking at making this shift to virtual quite permanent? 
I think it's a it's very very topical and um, a great question, Ben. And I actually think we have lost it. Um, so not the potential that we might mm. there. And my I would posit that some of that is what sits is sitting behind the great resignation. We're hearing mm. that at the moment, where people are shifting and moving. Um, and we've actually been doing some research with our team and looking at this and. I believe it's actually it's a condition of that we've shifted to becoming a contractor culture rather than yeah. a team culture. So if you think about contractors, they deliver on their work and they do it autonomously in a way that serves them. Mm-hmm. But there's not a strong connection to belonging mm-hmm. or culture that I'm part of this group. Um, and when we pulled together even the work from home book, we sort of put together a framework where the, the base of it is performance. We need to be delivering work. Um, if you're not doing the work, then there are feedback conversations happening <laughs> and trust goes. So you need to be performing. But above that is culture. So how do we do this work together? Yeah. Um, and then at the top of that is autonomy. So this option now, how do I do my best work? How can I? But it's not that I work whenever I want, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. how do I still deliver on the work in a way that I'm bringing my best energy, my best work to this piece of work. And if you think about those three, performance, culture, and autonomy, contractors do the top and the bottom. They do performance and autonomy, but don't necessarily have the connection to culture. And I think that's what we've missed. And a lot of organisations, I think where we're shifting to will be this hybrid um, of, of how we do get that chance to come together um, and make sure that we have that connection and a sense of belonging. The risk is that we'll encourage people back to the office, but they'll sit in their cubicles and do email. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not having those water cooler conversations yeah. or we're not, not creating, I actually think, the office or when we gather needs to be an experience. We need to have a relational connection. Um, and the speed of work then moves quicker when we're not in the same room because mm. we've built that connection, because I understand where you're coming from, because we've had that joke or I know a bit more about your life, uh, that we can um, build that trust quicker when we're, when we're sitting virtual. Having said that, there is going to be, and there is, a strong desire to continue this flexibility. We have proof that work can be done um, in a in a hybrid fashion. And I think there was research that came out of Wall Street Journal that said 73% of people desire it more hybrid, so continued flexibility. Um, and 35% said that if it wasn't there, that they would quit within a day if they were forced back into the office in a permanent um, situation back to commuting without that kind of flexibility of how they work uh, they'd be leaving and so it's uh it is actually i think a combination of both as long as we're making sure that when we are getting together we're building really good relationships creating experiences Mm. and actually um, maximizing that time together Mm. So in that work from home, oh, sorry, work from anywhere environment, what are the great challenges for leaders? It sounds like that, you know, when people come into work, we want the giant lounge room to be able to interact a bit more freely. Uh, But how do leaders lead in that hybrid model where you only see face-to-face your staff members periodically um, and then they're in the virtual environment? 
Yeah, there's there's probably three main, there's a lot of challenges, but three top challenges. Uh, and again, we did some, we did a couple of surveys the end of last year around state of virtual work. Um, one of the big challenges is managing conflict. Mm. So the, the ability to be able to do that, to be able to get people in a room, to be able to address what's going on, how are you seeing things, what's the story for you, um, is much more dynamic when we're in the same space or where we can have that face-to-face -face communication. We know in the way that we communicate, it's not just in what we say, mm. it's in body language, it's mm. in how we pick it up. And all of that context comes into play. And whilst we can be on video call like we are now and you can see some of that, you don't know what else is going on in this room. You don't know what other context where I've just come from or where you've just come from. And so all of that is um, has an impact. So how we navigate conflict um, and I guess they can do that. How, how do we do feedback conversations? Mm. Um, the, the second one is around support checking in on it probably comes back to mental health how do we know and how can we pick up on how people are traveling mm -hmm. from a, a mental health perspective um, where they might be pulling back quieter if we're not seeing them again if we're not picking up on some of that body language or change in behavior that requires um, requires more time but it requires much more conscious or intuitive space to actually um, check in with people and and it's a lot of time for leaders when you've got your your normal work to do to then go oh now mm. I have to ring up Joe and ask him how he is <laughs> and like I care but I just don't have time yeah. or I don't you know it's not mission critical so so that's tough when energy when your own energy as a leader is um is much lower. Uh, the third one is around collaboration. So how do we get better ideas? How do we, um, you know, innovate? How can we do that brainstorming? Again, technology, if the microphone's not on, people are muted, it just is disjointed and really hard and people switch off and your email's way too close to, you know, to jump into those yeah. distractions. So that's definitely a challenge. Um, if I throw in a fourth one for leaders, it's also looking at their own energy. So for a lot of leaders, they get energised by the buzz of an office mm. or they get energised of the people around them um, or, you know, progress being made on the work that we're doing. Uh, so if you're not getting that um, or, you know, again, leading in times of uncertainty, so not just in distance, mm -hmm. uh, it's... it's Again, you know, leaders are the ones that are working extra hours. They're caring more. They're finding out more about people's lives. And there's just a, a bigger impact on their own energy and in the way that they can turn up. Mm. And I guess that office environment also holds leaders more accountable. I mean, if they're working from anywhere and their team's working from anywhere, they're not running into Joe and having that conversation with them, forcing the interaction. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, you know, that yes and. So, yes, there there is the perception of accountability, but it can be, and there have been plenty of leaders that have hidden in office spaces mm. uh, and there's been a huge amount of disengagement even when we were in the office. Um, 
I remember talking probably 12 months ago that I almost feel like this work from home amplified what was already there. So great leaders who cared, who had those, you know, interactive conversations with their in the hallway, mm. they they just moved that platform and amplified mm, that yeah, uh, when present. their teams moved elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And the leaders that weren't doing that in the office, that got amplified as yeah. well. Um, so, so I think it was kind of that shift in skills. Yeah, okay. So the, the, their leadership style was their leadership style. Yeah, the vector just changed. Mm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Ali, you mentioned in that discussion a lot about uh, leaders' time and leaders' energy. I want to focus, I guess, a bit more on the sort of emotional energy aspect of it. And you spoke a couple of times about the engagement and in particular the the sort of difficult conversations. Now, your book, Dealing with the Tough Stuff, talks a lot about that. And in my personal experience, that resonates very strongly. It, It seems to be for me personally, but for a lot of the people that we work with in a leadership capacity, one of the most difficult things is having that uh, courageous conversation, giving sort of corrective um, or even disciplinary sort of uh, leadership interactions. And in fact, you know, coming from a military background, I think most of my peers would be far happier going into combat with someone than, than having an awkward conversation with, with a, a subordinate or a peer. What are your thoughts on that? Is that universal um, and what what are your sort of go-tos in terms of tackling that that fear that I think a lot of leaders have about having these difficult conversations? Look, I think there's a reason that they're called difficult conversations. <laughs> I, I <laughs> they, almost, it is used to it. <laughs> I almost found myself saying um, a lot of di- leaders find it very difficult to have these difficult conversations. Conversations <laughs> that are challenging. Yeah, yeah. Difficult. And in some ways, I actually come from the perspective that if they ever become easy, then you become apathetic. So yeah. the fact that they are difficult is because as a leader, you care. You care about the response. You care that someone might be hurt or misunderstood. And so don't lose that, that um, that if something is hard or difficult. Now, having said that, what is difficult might be different for different people. So for some, and where you, even where you talk about a military context, if performance isn't happening and it's really clear, some leaders find that very easy to have that conversation. There it is. We were looking for this kind of behaviour. It didn't happen in this instant. It needs to happen again. And if it doesn't, I'll address it with you. So so that feels like a straightforward conversation. But if someone starts crying in front of them, that's hard. <laughs> so part of it is knowing what is it that's difficult for you as a leader? What do you find yourself avoiding or kind of putting to the bottom of the pile and saying you'll get to at four o'clock on Friday afternoon? Um, because that can be that indicator of, okay, that's my growth area or, or chance to kind of challenge how we have, how I have those conversations. On the flip side, whilst it is difficult, high performers um, and people that are looking for excellence in the work that they do, they crave feedback. They want to know what can I shift and change. Um, and even, even if we you know, want to tie a ribbon on it or, you know, just downplay it a little bit, people pick up, you know, if it's leader, as a leader, you're frustrated or someone, something's not quite Mm. happening. um, But you kind of sugarcoat it and go, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Through gritted teeth. (laughs) It comes through like people feel like 
something's not right, but they might not know how to say that or put the finger on it. So if I come back to, I think Brene Brown talks about clear is kind. In terms of these conversations, one of, sometimes the kindest thing that we can do is, uh, is be clear about expectations or clear about um, what we're uncertain about or clear about what good looks like. And in fact, it's one of the kindest things that we can do. So sometimes it's, it's understanding they are going to be difficult, but often they're worth it out the other end. The end result, where we want to get to, is worth sitting in those conversations. Mm. Ali, your podcast, Standout Life, is all about how do we live amongst the busyness and there's a line that you use, how do we find those moments of magic among the mess? In all of the interviewees that you've had, what's the secret to finding the moments of magic? <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, I love the stories, just I think in the same way that you're kind of bringing this podcast to life and, and the stories that sit behind it. Um, I don't know that there's one answer. <laughs> I wish there was. <laughs> one for every, every guest, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and it probably almost comes back to, you know, that line I was saying before, wherever you are, just be all there. Um, one of the common threads in the guests that I have is, um, and part of it by virtue of the fact that we're sitting down talking about their life on a podcast, but they're very, very open to reflection and, and reflecting on what have they learnt, um, what didn't work well, have been very open in sharing their, their own internal self-doubts um, or the mess that's going on, even if everything on the outside looks mm. like it was, was fine or, or world-class for some of them. I remember very early on talking to um, Libby Triggett, who's, uh, mm. uh, you know, uh, Olympian swimmer, absolute best of best of um, her time. I think she went to four Olympics, four or five. I'd have to fact check that, but extraordinary career. Um, and for her to, you know, talk about, you know, her own self-doubt and she went into retirement only to then realise that she loved swimming and went back <laughs> into swimming um, and this kind of sense of identity has been a journey that I know she's still on and is, um, you know, it's an incredible one that she so, you know, openly kind of shares. But I think some of those moments are in the, the reflection, the chance to kind of look back and, and to really kind of honour the learnings and the lessons and that, they, that we continue to have them, um, that, that we don't get to a point where we know it all. I think that's certainly mm -hmm. been one of the big messages that I've taken away. Mm. Yeah, the, the learning journey. Um, in fact, we had a, a really good conversation with a partner of ours, a partner and client, and uh, he was talking about our professional lives principally and our relationships in our professional lives and, quote, the moments that matter, that in any process, workflow, interaction, um, you know, delivery of a service or a good, there are times where there are moments that matter and times that matter less. And I've been reflecting a lot on that, like certainly in our business, for us, that's very true. There are times where they really matter and other times in our interaction with clients where it probably matters less. But it's transferable, isn't it? There are moments that matter in our personal lives and you know, the, the moments of magic moments of moments that matter 
equation. Yeah, it's really worth absolutely. thinking about. Absolutely, it is interesting, isn't it? When you think about when some talk about it in business, but and I can't remember where I heard this, but I remember someone, and it, it's never too long into an interview where you get a sporting analogy. So I'm going to bring you up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but when you think about professional AFL players, so they this is their full time job to be AFL players. And the good ones uh, play most games. So when is it 26 weeks in a, in a um, season, uh, depending on finals or not. Um, and if you're playing like, what, an hour and a half <laughs> for a game, at most, at most. So 30 hours in an entire year, mm. it's game time. The rest of it is all work to support, recover, prepare, get yourself ready for those moments. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I've reflected on that probably more in a business sense than personal, but I think it transfers to that as well, is what are the things that then help us to be really present for that moment that matters, mm. for whether it's a feedback conversation that's going to help elevate someone into their, their next level of growth. Um, or their next career if this is, isn't the right match, um, whether it is those moments of playing in the mud with the kids <laughs> where yeah. you are fully present and you're just getting your hands dirty and it doesn't matter if the clothes were cleaned two minutes ago and uh, they're the third outfit for the day, but you're just really kind of present. Um, and it, But it doesn't have to be present every single time. But just finding those those moments and really absorbing and soaking in the joy of those moments yeah. can be powerful. I know you're I have these moments in my house where typically one of my girls will ask me to do something and I seize on it, you know, Dad, can you take me too? And it's always a yes because I know that I'll get 15 or 20 minutes in the car dropping them to their friend's place for the sleepover where it's just me and them and that's really precious time. Mm. Yeah, and I was going to say that counterpoint is that the moments that matter, it's not this idea of quality time that it's Mm. got to be some special sort of thing. Um, there's a wonderful, and this is through the the Daily Stoic sort of mail out Ryan Holidays thing. Mm. He often quotes Jerry Seinfeld talking about, "I don't want quality time. I want junk time." You know, <laughs> the, sort of sitting on the couch eating a frozen pizza, yeah. pizza watching garbage TV. It doesn't need to be that trip to Disneyland. Mm. It needs, and I think your point, Ali, it, it you need to be all there. You need to be present for it, whether it is recognizing that the opportunity to do an errand is is a, an opportunity for a really special moment that matters. Mm. Mm. And maybe right back at you with with another little sporting analogy. And I think it was Steve Smith that talked about every delivery in a cricket match is an event. I don't know why you're looking to me for validation. <laughs> <laughs> what is cricket? Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, the thing that really got got me interested uh, some years ago about 
uh, mindfulness and meditation was that there was a mindfulness application made for the Australian cricket team because there were periods of absolutely nothing moments that didn't matter punctuated by these. Which is why Ben um, watches it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a marvellous game, the, the, uh, the test cricket, where you can fall asleep on the lounge for an hour or two and wake up and nothing's changed. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, these moments that don't matter punctuated with these events that are measured in seconds where you had to be absolutely acutely aware of what was happening because if you... You know, drop the catch, missed it, or drop missed the catch, it. or yeah, miss yeah. the ball. If you're in, in, in batting, um, you know they were the real moments that matter. And so the mindfulness um, app that was devised for the Australian cricket team was all about decompressing themselves in the moments that didn't matter, and then bringing them back to being present for the moments that matter. Yeah, yeah, really powerful. What's that mindfulness and and um, and the moments that do and the moments that don't. I remember a number of years ago and actually right before I, I wrote the book um, Stand Out where I found myself kind of in this um, probably just low level of anxiety of feeling like there was always something to do but mm. I really wasn't I wasn't doing work well. I don't think I was parenting well. Um, nothing was really wrong but just didn't feel kind of right. And I remember I was doing some work with a lady and I – whether it was the business side of me or the person who kind of just wanted the answer, I was thinking she was going to ask me to, you know, as homework to write down my goals because, you know, I've done that for many years and no doubt plenty of people listening. When you think about the new year or what do I, you know, if I want to change my life, what's my goals? What do I want to do? And she didn't and she floored me instead and she said, I want you to spend a week and I want you to really notice what nourishes your soul. Um and I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very goal-orientated. Like, <laughs> that sounds a bit, but okay, uh, what does that even mean? And it was so great just to have that planted in the back of my mind to keep a, an eye out for these moments that nourished my soul. And I noticed it was things like swimming in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, it was things like hearing my kids laugh. Mm-hmm. And... I then, at the end of the week, I went, I can engineer that. Like, I don't have to wait till my kids laugh. I can tickle them. Mm. I can (laughs) tell them a mum joke that they cringe at but still laugh anyway. Um, So almost kind of going, I can, and I'm going to say this inverted commas, schedule Mm -hmm. those things in. Um, And they might be different for different people. Someone listening might be going, Sitting in the mud with kids is the last thing I'm going to do. <laughs> Never going to nourish my soul. Um, but listening to great music or, um, you know, spending time at a, uh, I went to a, a, a live music concert the other day. It was so good just to be back around crowd and live music again. Um, so what are those moments? And then how can you engineer those? How can you put those into your week? And often, as you say, it's, way smaller stuff than mm. than the big goals that I was hoping or thinking that I needed to do. And it's such a, I think it's such a virtuous circle that when you start being a bit more present, you start noticing, you know, the the cadence of your child's laugh or the, the light coming in at a certain time of day or whatever, which tunes you to looking for similar things like that, which gives you joy and gratitude and makes your life better. I, I think it can be a really wonderful, as I said, virtuous circle. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because you know what you're doing, but then it's not as even though you kind of go, oh, I know I'm 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 doing this. You it just pays back to you. So mm-hmm. yeah. Ali, two books dealing with the tough stuff and stand out, both both of which we've mentioned. The author's journey. Um, how do you feel about writing the books, and and how was the experience of writing? Yeah, uh, so interesting. Um, slightly different for for both of those books. So, dealing with the tough stuff, co-wrote with my husband Darren and a great friend and colleague, Dr. Sean Richardson. And it was based off a program that we had delivered inside corporates and their organisations for probably six or seven years, uh, working with 10,000 plus leaders on on how to have these tough conversations. The big thing was for that was rhythm for each chapter. Once we had that, it was then just kind of divvying up the boxes um, and ticking them off. So it's that time and process still there's a um a bit of a doubt around you know is this good enough how am i writing and with three years uh to come together as one voice um but it was and it was a very tight manuscript turnaround i was just going to say i'm asking for a friend but did one of you end up drawing the short straw and having to rewrite the whole thing and to give it a single voice <laughs> <laughs> is that is that some feedback for Tim you've got, or is <laughs> no, it's just a genuine um, question coming from uh, No, no, it actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think because we uh, we'd sort of probably honed the the program um, so well that um, you know a lot of the stories, and I said the practical activities, we just knew they they landed. Um, so, so that voice kind of came together and, mm. and we did give chance for each of us to be able to have our own voice. So we sort of, at the end of each chapter, um, each one of us kind of gives our reflection on that. So that was the chance for that to come together. So that one tied together really well. Standout was a much bigger wrestle for me. So that was a book I wrote on my own. Um, it was a more personal and, um, when you write a book called Stand Out and you have a photo of yourself on the back page and you want to encourage people to really put themselves out there, it's a bloody hard mirror to look at <laughs> and work through. So there was a few more tears on friends' couches, um, huge amount, you know, what am I doing this for, who's even going to care, um, that went through that process and, again, became the core part of why I went this is this is important to to get out there and that encouragement of um, and even when I call you know stand out I cringe a little bit at the title because it sounds a bit kind of um, uh, fame and and you know fake in some ways and yet the actual sense of it is no matter where you are how can you um, feel like you're aligned to what matters to you and feel like you're moving forward. That's it. That's the definition of stand out. It's not about being the best. It's mm. not about being known. It's actually just about um, do I care what I'm doing and do I feel like I'm making progress? Um, and and that's where that you know, stand out comes to. But, um, yeah, the writing process is, uh, you know, interesting, cathartic in places, but that one was a real, real wrestle. <laughs> and reading. Are you a voracious reader, a good reader, a diligent reader? 
I have. I feel like I have a straight line to Booktopia, but (laughs) 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 it's not too many days where there's not a book that's arrived. I'm still in that kind of hardcore, like you know, the actual tangible book. Um, I love reading, and I'm constantly looking at what's new and what's coming out. It's only been in the last two years where I have actually allowed myself to Mm. jump back into fiction books, Mm -hmm. which I've loved that kind of escape. Um, but I still am a very big fan of the latest research, the latest thinking when it comes to, um, you know, psychology, understanding people, leadership, uh, workplaces. So um, my bedside table is very full. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just a couple of days ago on LinkedIn released your six must-read leadership books of 2022. And, you know, make sure you go and check out Ali's six must-reads. But I think this is a bit of a window to your soul. Um, Let me read some of the little (laughs) bylines on these. Uh, The High Achiever's Guide to Happiness, Confidence and Success. Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Uh, Time and How to Use It. Why You Can't Pay Attention. And how to begin, start doing something that matters. There's a a bit of a trend line in there, isn't there? (laughs) There's no recipe books, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 I might be a bit biased. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, bookshops have more than the self-help sections. (laughs) Um, And one of those books um, is Adam Grant's book, um, Think Again, you know, How to Find the Joy in Being Wrong. And I I really love Adam Grant. I, I love his podcast. Um, what's your theory on how to find the joy in being wrong? We've talked a little bit about regret and this audio <laughs> loop that happens in our brains that is constantly punishing us about something, often an irrational something. So how do you find the joy in being wrong? <laughs> um, oh, I think it's a great book and, I, you know, Adam, Adam Grant's um, thinking is is remarkable and is you know very prolific in the work that he kind of puts out in his in his research and some of his work around post-traumatic growth is um, Mm. incredible when you know this book kind of think again how do you find the joy in being wrong I mean where else do we uh, are we happy about being wrong it's just Mm. kind of it's not not it's almost feeling like it's not okay, and particularly inside organisations and leaders. And yet when you think about great leaders, and I know that both of you work with incredibly fantastic leaders who are continuing to look at uh, how they can even excel at what they do, the great leaders understand the power of questions. And so how we how do we find the joy in being wrong is being able to sit in the question, to hold space that whilst I might have this theory and whilst this might be the way that I look at things, there might be another way. There might be another perspective. Um, I remember I did an interview with um, the founders of a company called Future Crunch, uh, who are based down in Melbourne, and they they talk about this power of debate. Um, and in some ways, I think you know we're almost losing the art of mm. just getting into a debate and getting into understanding a different perspective. While I still completely respect who you are. Um, but they were talking about that, you know, as leaders and what they encourage leaders to do is to hold space for you to be 10% wrong. <laughs> mm. So have the conviction of where you stand, but there might be another way or there might be another perspective. And I think for me, that is the power of 
being able to sit inside a question, not to rush to an answer just for the sake of security or you know, feeling like certainty is important because sometimes that certainty might be um, might settle on kind of shaky ground. So uh, if I think about the joy of being wrong, I love being wrong if I'm learning, if I get another perspective, if I can ask an even better question next time. Grisagono's question that mm. leaders should ask themselves, which is, how would I know I was wrong about this? Which is a bit of a bias buster, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, she, um, Anne-Marie does a lot of work in the complexity space mm. and, and looking at, I think, touching on what you just said, Ali, this idea that maybe there is no right or wrong answer. You know, maybe we are in this wonderful grey space of wicked problems and Asking that question, um, how would I know I was wrong about this, alerts you to those weak signals that may indicate that um, your concept, your plan, your idea um, is not turning out right. And to Tim's point, it, it really helps challenging things like confirmation bias. Yeah, what's sitting in your blind spot? And I think it's. I think just societally, it's so important to be acknowledging this grey space. And I love that idea about keeping ten percent um, of your of yourself, you know, for the, that potential that you may be wrong. Because I, I think we are getting polarised. We're seeing the debate on really important topics um, obfuscated by a, a real concern about, you know, challenging, um, respectfully challenging different ideas. And, and I think a lot of, you know, you've, you've seen a, a lot of these big social movements, the sort of Black Lives Matter and Me Too, brought on some incredibly important changes but have made it very difficult to talk about some aspects in an impartial um, fashion. And, and we sort of almost seem to have to have these binary views on a lot of things now. Um, and I think that idea of uh, seeding some ground that there could be another opinion on, on a lot of different topics is, is increasingly important. I agree in terms of um, kind of being asked to have these binary views, but also have them very, very quickly and make your stance known publicly yeah. quickly. Um, as which doesn't allow the pause to let me check that I've got all the data to make a decision yet. Mm, mm. <laughs> Have I, you know, what else do I need to know here? Where where am I at at the moment? And I, I really love that question that you posed. And, you know, how would I know that I was wrong about this? Uh, if we ask this more often, I'd be fascinated to, to see what conversations came out of that. Mm-hmm. Ali, before you... Before you go down for your swim in the morning and you're listening to Spotify, what's your power song? <laughs> if I go power song in terms of high energy, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, Macklemore, um, can't hold, is it Can't Hold the Ceiling? Mm-hmm. That would be my song. Is that because you're a runner, aren't you, Ali? 
Uh, I do run. Yes. <laughs> well, then you're a runner. <laughs> that's all. The, that's all the definition needs to be. All right. <laughs> I, I was going to say, is is that on your your sort of get me up this tough hill in a trail run or uh, across the last sort of few k's of the Gold Coast Twenty Five? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's right up there. We'll include it on the Unforgiving Sixty playlist available on Spotify. <laughs> This is not a paid advertisement <laughs> for Spotify. <laughs> I don't know what we'd, we'd stand to gain out of this. No, nothing. It's, it's free. It's it's just out there and available. But has houses the wonderful power songs of all of our guests. It's it's a lovely little repository of what people get inspired by, and there's some peculiar stuff on there, Ben. Yeah, I think most of which is mine. I've, I've got a pretty weird um, uh, and eclectic sort of music taste. My last question, Ali, is what does 2022 hold for you? What what do you dream uh, will happen this year for you and your family? Uh, it's a great question and a great way to phrase it around uh, what do we dream kind of happening. My my kids are 14 and 12 and I, I genuinely feel like um, the next couple of years are I mean, every year is important years, but I feel like our chance to have time as a family and where we spoke about adventure, um, our chance to to really utilise the school holidays, um, year seven and nine, they're important, but they're, you know, mm. less important in the schooling years. Um, that uh, So my dream is that, yeah, we really embrace the holidays and, um, and adventure as a family. Um, we, as I said, we, we went camping in January and the ability to sit around a campfire and talk about what is your favourite Hilltop Hood song uh, with your kids <laughs> was a moment where I went, this is pretty fun. <laughs> and out of interest, what, so, uh, what is your favourite Hilltop Hood song, Ali? <laughs> um, uh, Exit Sign was yeah, mine. I can't nice. remember what, uh, what my kids were, but um, yeah, yeah they, they rattled off some really good ones actually. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think having those those moments, um, for me, kind of creativity, when I talk about creativity, it's creativity of ideas um, and, you know, solutions for the clients that we, we work alongside. So I'm really keen to continue to look at ways that, um, that we do that differently. Um, and innovative, innovatively, um, and I've also got another book bubbling away. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see whether uh, whether that pulls together or not as well. Well, Ali, thank you. That is a wonderful way to to wrap up a really enjoyable conversation. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to to following you as you you fill 2022 with with more health, more adventure, more four-day work weeks and perhaps another book and filling your unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run maximizing your time (laughs) thank you very much thank you so much it's been been a ton of fun thank you
episodes with guests, Ben and Tim talk complexity, stress and resilience and how to optimise performance. If you would like to know more about our corporate programs on leadership, teamwork, resilience and crisis management, reach out at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. Or check out The Resilience Shield, the best-selling book that Ben and Tim have co-authored with Dr. Dan Pronk. Now to the Season 4 Debrief. We relentlessly pursue excellence and we'd love your insights and feedback. Also, if you know someone who's living a life less ordinary, then let us know. You can get in touch with us at debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and rate us on iTunes. You can also follow us on all forms of social media, just search for Unforgiving Sick Zero on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, until next time, on behalf of Ben and myself, we wish you all the best to fill your unforgiving 60s with some quality distance running.